Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and fascinating women who talk about their projects as well as their own lives as evolving women. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. And if you like the podcast, you'll love my newly updated companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. Learn more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my coffee in my hand and my little Jack Russell Sparky right beside me. So let's begin. Today we have Marcy Alberher, who is one of the nation's leading authorities on career issues and workplace trends. A former blogger and columnist for the New York Times, her latest book is The Encore Career Handbook, How to Make a Living and a Difference in the Second Half of Life. She's been interviewed by NBC's Nightly News, NPR, and AARP, just to name a few. And Marcy also serves on the board of directors of Girls Right Now and as a mentor editor for the Op-Ed Project. And earlier in her career, Marcy spent a decade practicing law. Welcome to the show, Marcy. Well, thank you so much for having me. So uh, where would you like to start? I know that my listeners are probably pretty curious about this whole question of how to make a living and a difference in the second half of life. Is there a place, it's a big, big topic, where, where would you like to start? Um, well, I guess, uh, you know, there's a, a question I think of why we even are having this conversation now. Why has this become suddenly so interesting to people? So, you know, I think we're, we're getting to a place where there's um, lots of opportunity. You, you talk about zestful aging, and a lot of your work is about kind of mindfulness and, and healthful aging. And, uh, you know, for, for many of us, there is an opportunity for more longevity, right, than we've ever had before. And that does open up, you know, the idea of new life stages. It's not, um, it's not new to be talking about people really not talking about, you know, planning for retirement, but instead planning for another chapter. So at Encore.org, where I work, we call that chapter the, the your, your Encore, or sometimes your Encore career, which in, for many people could last as long as your main career. <laughs> so it used to be, right, you had a 20 or 30 year career, and then you moved into retirement, and that was kind of a short phase of life. But for many people, this second or third chapter could be another you know, 20 to 30 years. And that presents so many opportunities for getting retrained, for going back to school, for taking up new things like becoming a podcaster, right? <laughs> so, you know, in each, which each of those um, new things, we can continue to develop new identities, um, new ways of exploring ourselves, new ways of learning, new ways of interacting with the next generation, with young mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. um, so. And so that's really, um, it's, it's timely. So we are all um, kind of living this at the moment, and we're really the first generation to grapple with it in this way. Mm -hmm. mm. And so in your book, you talk about how to make a living and difference in the second half of life. How do you guide people? Because this is a pretty, you know, as you say, we're the first generation to have this 
option, this opportunity, because we're living so much longer. What are the, what are the, the sort of the beginning questions that you ask people that are, let's, we'll call them post-middle agers, to get to this, um, this question of what do I want to do now? Right. So I don't work in, you know, individually with people. So I just want to um, clarify that I actually don't spend my days as a coach or as someone who's working individually with people. I work on kind of um, strategies and communication work to try to tell a story of what's going on in society right now and to try to spur innovation for new models that will make it so much easier for all of us to have these kinds of transitions. So at Encore, you know, we've been involved in the creation of um, all kinds of Encore transition courses that are cropping up where people kind of want to have an experience of going through this life stage in a cohort of others who are figuring out the same things. You know, we need rituals and rites of passage and kind of fellow travelers to go through this with. So, I mean, one of the main things I would tell people is you don't have to do this on your own. Mm. Um, And you can try to find, you know, a group and there are more and more of them online and our website has resources, but more and more of them, I'm sorry, in real life. But um, you could also create your own kind of informal group of people who are wrestling with these issues together. So, you know, we created some tools to go along with the Encore Career Handbook if you wanted to convene a book club or just actually read the book with um, a friend or a colleague who's thinking about a next chapter and um, have a buddy to kind of work on this Mm, with. Um, A transition buddy. Yeah, transition buddy, an accountability partner, whatever you want to call it. Um, So I think that that idea that you don't have to go it alone is a big, I mean, you know, in the kind of second wave wave feminism period, there was the idea of consciousness raising groups, right, for women who were really trying to explore what was going on in in that period. And I think there's something very similar around this transition now. Mm -hmm. It seems to me as we're in this, like, this new landscape um, I just recently taught a continuing ed course um, about, I called it Living in the Gray, and showed the documentary Coming of Age and Aging America sure. and talking about just this, you know, it, this is a whole new world. And But it, it sounds to me like there's a lot of creativity happening um, at Encore that that you folks are are just really, you know, it's sort of a blank screen and you're saying, what would help? Let's try this. Let's try this. It's all new. Right, right. Uh, So, I mean, a big focus of our work right now is about um, kind of the importance of intergenerational relationships at Mm -hmm. all stages of life, but particularly as you get older, because kind of one of the hallmarks of the old model of aging was really age segregation, right? You got older and you started moving into places where that that weren't about, you know, there's this classic way, right, that communities, you know, you have the empty nest and you leave a neighborhood and move to a place that's more appropriate for a person of your age. And and you mm-hmm. see, like, who moves in but the, the family with the young kid, right, and that cycle, the young children, and that cycle goes again and again. And we're thinking a lot and we're looking a lot about models of how could we think about Um, not age separating ourselves, but instead remaining age integrated, whether it happens in our neighborhoods and our living communities, whether it happens at work. 
So at work, for example, we've created something called an Encore Fellowship, which is a new model for people in late career who want to make a move to the nonprofit sector. So mm. we've created this one-year fellowship that is designed specifically for that transition. You know, a lot of our work is around social change. So we um, are, you know, working a lot to try to figure out new pathways for people who want to do social change work later in their life. And this is an example of that, the Encore mm. Fellowship. It's mm -hmm. also an example of age integrating the workplace and thinking about what are the new, what are the roles we need for older and experienced people in a workplace that's going to have four generations working alongside each other. So if we had a role where people are applying years of talent while at the same time learning new things, you create this hybrid of, there's an, an author, um, uh, in our midst called Chip Conley, who has a new book called The Modern Elder. And I think he, he really captured the essence of that. What does the modern elder look like? And it's the hybrid of the mentor and the intern. It's mm. this idea that you are both learning and teaching at the same time. Mm. And it's a way to stay relevant. And both are good for your mental health. Right, right. Mm. Mm -hmm. So um, what... what Talk a little bit about, if you would, some of the, uh, you, you talked about this internship program or the fellowship program. What are the kinds of uh, things that people are choosing um, now that they're late career and they want to do some kind of, it sounds like, I don't know if it's exactly social justice, but social socially beneficial. What are the kinds of careers that they're going into now? So, I mean, there is our fellowship, and then there's kind of the more general, so I can answer it in both ways. So in our fellowship, it's very, we are, it's very specific for people who want to take their professional experience. They may have been in finance or accounting or marketing or IT or organizational development, and they want to apply those skills in a new environment. So let's say they did that. Um, in a law firm or in a you know manufacturing plant of some kind, and they want to make that move and do it for a health clinic or for um, you know a literacy organization, they might be using the same kind of professional skill set, but they may need to learn how a mission-focused organization operates. So that's kind of what our fellowship really focuses on that particular kind of transition. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, in writing my book, I interviewed you know, hundreds of people who are doing all kinds of interesting, you know, encore work. They could be going back to school to uh, work on something, do some work that has to do with uh, the healthcare system in some way. They could be working um, in education in some way, in a role in school, in a, a role with young children, in a role... Um, so many people are really gravitating towards wellness, a field that you understand well. There are now wellness coaches and healthcare navigators and mm -hmm. all kinds of jobs that actually, that uh, there's a category of jobs that have been created by the longevity economy. What do we need in later life? And often it's people in midlife who are providing um, services to people who are homebound, who are doing home renovations for people who want to age in home rather than um, move to somewhere else. So that longevity economy is a huge big area of people who are kind of in midlife themselves and seeing 
because they've dealt with aging parents or perhaps you know spend time as a caregiver that there are various needs and opportunities um, for consulting work or for small businesses or for um, you know some kind of work in, in that field mm-hmm. and that's do a, you have a pr- big field yeah yeah do you have a particular story that uh, was uh, near and dear to your heart as you were interviewing people for your book? Did any story or uh, example stand out to you? Oh, I have so, so many. <laughs> I, I think I, you know, there's so many examples where a hobby or a kind of a passion turned into a job. And I just saw that again and again, or that somebody went through a life experience and the life experience gave them an idea for a business or what they wanted to do. So just two quick examples. Um, one here in New York where I live is a um, uh, a woman was a, um, a, a, a graphic designer, worked in, in, uh, in art fields, and, and had retired and really became a fine artist, but she developed a hobby as a photographer, and it was a real passion of hers, and she was also quite an animal lover, and she um, spent some time volunteering at the Central Park Zoo, and over the years, she was working with the animals. She just, as a hobby, started taking photographs of the mm-hmm. animals, and eventually, the folks at the zoo just asked her to do various photography jobs that would come up. They wanted to document something that related to the animals. And uh, before long, that became a paid job. And she just had started doing the thing that became the job. So it was just an example of kind of following that interest and also blending many interests into one, right? So this, as you get older, I think it's really common that your separate strands may get braided together in different ways. And um, so that's very intriguing to me as we age. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, has, yeah. I was going to say, has that been true for you as well? Probably, yeah. Um, you know, as you know from my bio, I was a lawyer earlier in my life. And then I, I spent a decade doing that. And then I spent a, about a decade as a, a journalist. And during that period, I was a I taught writing and I coached other writers and I also did public speaking. And um, and when I moved into the nonprofit sector, with, you know, and started this role at Encore, I wore many hats. You know, I do a lot of our media work and uh, media relations and public speaking and writing all. I wrote this book for Encore and lots of that feels a lot like my old identity. But I'm also now on the management team and I'm helping to lead a nonprofit and think about its management and its staffing and its HR issues and our fundraising issues. And my legal background is coming in quite handy at that part. And I've always been a a strategy kind of person. So instead of having what I call these many slashes, um, you know, you're you're a writer slash teacher slash a speaker. I now have one job, but in that job, I, I get to do many, many of those kinds of things. So my teaching is that you know, I spend quite a lot of time helping other people in this movement cultivate their voice and introduce them to media for interviews and uh, suggest them as speakers for events. And that's, that's my way of, you know, I help countless people write op-eds and edit for them and brainstorm with them. And so it's a way I get to do my teaching in a very, very different environment and my coaching. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I can see what you mean by blending. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Girls Right Now? Oh, sure, sure. Um, 
And, and I think before I even do that, I'll just tell you the other, like the big thing that's going on at Encore right now at our organization is we launched a campaign called Generation to Generation, mm -hmm. which is about mobilizing um, people in this life stage to kind of stand up and show up for young people as champions. And it's kind of a segue into Girls Right Now because I feel like Girls Right Now is my, one of my big gen-to-gen -gen activities. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer, as you know, and um, for years I've been very supportive of this organization here in New York that um, matches New York City high school girls who are interested in writing with professional women writers in one-on-one -on -one very intensive mentorships. So I joined the board of this organization um, about five years ago and it's a, a total marrying of my passions and kind of where I think I can have the most impact because it's a small nonprofit and a lot of what I learned at Encore and what we go through is extremely useful now that I, I sit on the board of another nonprofit who is work, you know, working to try to raise money and thinking of its strategy issues and um, all of the very issues that come before a board are issues that I think about in my day job. But I also am bringing a lot of this idea around intergenerational talent to the model at Girls Right Now, which is by definition, an intergenerational mentoring model. And, and Girls Right Now has really thought about um, recruiting I know, women who are at every different life stage so that it's not just what's called a, a near peer model, which is women you know, kind of just ahead of those high school girls, mm -hmm. but women of all life stages are involved. And mm. it's very similar to you know, the, the work we're doing at Encore. So there's a beautiful overlap. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware of uh, some of the work in the Netherlands and other European countries where they're and in Scandinavia where people are doing this intergenerational living. Um, yes. Yeah. What are your thoughts about some of their initiatives? Oh, really creative. And, and you know, we have some of that going on here, too, which, um, you know, there's a, a new program that's just starting up called Nesterly. Um, have you heard about it? I don't think so. Yeah, they're they're not why you know they're not yet um, available everywhere. But their idea, and they were started by two um, young MIT grads. So um, they were this idea was not created by older people; it was created by younger people um, to kind of really think about some ways to cure the affordable housing uh, crisis we have here in this country. And you have, on the one hand, many many older people who want to be able to afford to stay in their homes, and one thing they might have is a spare bedroom. And you have many mm -hmm. younger people, particularly graduate students, who um, move to a new city and want a reasonable place to live. So this idea put those two populations together. So the idea is that um, an older person with room to spare would make that room available to a graduate student at a very, very reduced rate in exchange for taking on some chores around the house and it's kind of a win-win for everyone. So it provides a little financial income to the homeowner. It provides um, a financial break to the young person who needs the place to stay. And it creates this intergenerational relationship and interaction between the pair. So um, it's, a, it's, it's just the kind of innovation that we, we are interested in that, that kind of brings the generations together rather than keeping them separated. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you get really excited when you talk about the gen to gen stuff. I you, definitely yeah. do. I definitely do. Yeah. 
Are there, in your living situation in New York, do you see that in your community uh, happening as well? Well, you know, so many of us in New York live in apartment buildings as I do. So uh, in some ways we have a built-in and, you know, there, it's very easy to kind of brush up against people at all life stages in the kind of vertical housing that, that I live in, in my neighborhood and that many others in New York. And, um, but doing this work made me realize that um, you have to go out of your way to do it. You have to kind of figure out what are the ways to integrate yourself into somebody else's life. So, I mean, just this afternoon, I noticed that Meals on Wheels was delivering a meal to someone on my floor who's much older than I am, who I know, I see him, I have visited him at, at one point, we've um, introduced each other when I moved onto the floor, but I thought, well, if he ever wants company, obviously this is a guy in my own floor, right, who's home often, mm-hmm. um, maybe I could see if he ever, you know, wants to have a cup of tea in the afternoon, or if I could walk over with my dog, if he's a dog lover, and just have a conversation. So I think we have these opportunities um, to actually just get to know our neighbors a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the basics. The basics. It's all so simple. None of this is very, um, you know, newfangled. It's, it's often what we don't realize um, we should be doing just as neighbors. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's old is new again, right? right. This is from the beginning of time. Uh, intergenerational relationships uh, were the norm, right? And 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 then we got used to a different way, and and loneliness is such an epidemic now. Right, it's really exactly. causing causing some problems at all um, ends, right? Not and, just for older people, for younger people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a little bit of a different question because I know there's a lot of women and I've interviewed a lot of energetic, inspiring women who want to do good things for the world. How do you deal with burnout? And there's so I can, you know, you're so passionate and ambitious and want to do so many good things. But I'm wondering if you have to be careful um, to, to make sure that you're also resting. Oh, I mean, I, I feel like you're, you're probably the expert who could be teaching me, but, um, you know, my own techniques are just to um, try to um, prioritize and, you know, make room for what's important and not get, um, you know, and not get distracted um, and overextend. And I think so many of us who want to be available to others uh, tend to maybe offer ourselves up a little too easily and... You know, it's that whole idea that if you really want to um, give, you have to be able to be present. And if you overextend yourself, you're really going to disappoint the very people you want to be there for. So I think this idea of reminding yourself that sometimes no is the best way um, to, to make sure that you can actually do what, what it is that you want to commit to and realize that if something's very intriguing to you, you can you can put it on um, a list for a time when your life is um, has a little more room. And uh, so I, I think everybody's a little different on this. Everybody has different bandwidth and different um, capacity, but um, we all we can, all can't solve every problem. Um, so I think it's also thinking about 
where your talents and your interests uh, fit with what you're seeing as the needs around you. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious because you're, of course, you, you're so aware of the need and you're so aware that this, this change has to happen somehow. And you have the talent and the experience to affect change. And I, I'm just sort of wondering how you navigate that line. Like, yeah, if I work another few hours, I could get this much done. I can mentor this many more young women. I can, you know, uh, create new programming for Encore. But I'm also going to be skipping dinner and be cranky. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's where I think, you know, it goes back to this, like, you know, uh, kind of creating um, support teams for yourself and realizing that sometimes it's good to check in with others and have a, a circle of people that are aware um, of kind of what, what we all, right? I think this is a classic kind of women's dilemma. You want to do a lot. You want to, um, everything calls to you. Um, but, you know, that whole expression uh put on your own oxygen mask before the mm -hmm. child on the plane. Like if you're, if you're not able, mm -hmm. if you're not really preserving yourself, you actually won't be able to be there for anybody else. So I think you have to listen to yourself and know, and you know, the to-do list and the needs will, will never go away. So mm -hmm. it is up to you to have the discipline and know your body and your limits um, and realize. And I, I think the other, the other thing that I've seen a lot of people who are, really able to have a lot of impact is they tend to to do something and contribute in ways and find times to say you know what it's kind of time for another chapter in my life and this has been very gratifying to me and useful to the organization I'm helping but I actually want to have another experience and I know it's time for another person to step in and I've seen that happen quite a lot um, mm. So, and, and the same with mentoring, where many, many really successful mentoring relationships exist for a stage or a season, and then it's actually time to understand that someone else will step in and that um, it may not be your sweet spot or it may, it may be that, um, you know, someone else has shown up and you feel, wow, I'm in a good place to now um, pass the reins on to someone else or just allow that to organically happen. Mm hmm. I, I mean, that to me would would speak to having some self-awareness that you're not just sort of going and doing things on autopilot, but really checking in and saying, OK, this isn't this is feeling productive, but maybe not so fresh anymore. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And that, of course, then we talk about curiosity as we age and how important that is trying new things maybe allowing yourself to be a little uh, uncomfortable at first. So yeah, I can see that there's a, a parallel there. Marcy, is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience who I think would be very interested in this whole idea of, you know, making a living and, and doing good for the world? Um, any other thoughts or, or guidance? Well, I, I would just say if you visit the Encore.org website, um, which is our name, you will find lots of ways to plug into this movement, both to find your own way and um, as a leader um, in, in all kinds of ways. So we just redesigned our website. It's pretty easy to navigate. So I encourage people to, to jump in and to also just understand that um, everyone's going through this struggle. It's, <laughs> it's not a... a 
it's not something um, unique. And I think that's the sign of really, um, I think we're all kind of struggling and um, embracing some of the th same things kind of en masse. And I think that that's going to cause a lot of in innovation and a lot of disruption, but again, a lot of need for sharing with each other about um, finding your community and um, sharing what's working and helping one another. You sound very optimistic. Do you yes. feel optimistic? <laughs> I am, yeah. I'm, an, I'm a congenital optimist, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I love talking to you about these issues. I mean, they're so important and they're so relevant and we have to figure it out. You know, the time is now. Yes. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing your experience and your passion um, with us today. Thank you so much for being on Zestful Aging. Thank you, Nicole. And, uh, and I look forward to staying in touch. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash zestful aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.